Well, good evening once again. We just got back from Belize, and uh, we did three crusades there, um, and three pastor-slash-Christian-leader training conferences. So what we had is we set up these events several months in advance. I've been on the radio down there for about the past seven years, and um, somebody just said, why don't you go on the radio in Belize? It's really inexpensive, and it'd be a great country to cover because the national language of the country is English. So we could put our broadcast on without translating it, and uh, though they speak Spanish and Creole, most people understand and speak English. So we went on the air and uh, just watched what happened. We went there a couple years back, and we found out that our radio broadcast is one of the most listened media outlets uh, in the country. And uh, so we had a couple of outreaches, and then we came back this time, and now we're on uh, three different radio stations and one television station there. And just, it's, it's funny to walk into a country and drive by stores uh, on the sides of the road, and you go in and you see um, some of the books and uh, pamphlets that we have put out in the stores. And um, so the country knew we were coming. We had these great times of pastor leadership conferences, which were really informative. Brought in different pastors, Paul Skaz from Santa Fe, Terry Gray from El Paso, Carlos Garcias from Juarez, uh, Chip Lusco was there, and we trained on different subjects. And then at night we had these crusade events with kind of uh, reggae-style worship and music using some local bands. And uh, the last two nights uh, were the biggest events that those two cities had ever had in their history, they told us. And the last night, our team wasn't there for the last night, but the last night was the biggest event of all. We had about 4,000 people crammed inside and outside uh, this uh, huge building in San Ignacio. And just the Lord moved. We saw so many people come to Christ each night and make rededications. It was quite, quite a movement. So uh, we plan to go back uh, probably in the next couple years, and we'll be letting you know about that. But um, tonight we have something really special. A good friend of mine from Dallas, Texas, and India. I don't know which country is more foreign, Texas or India. You'd have to answer that, KP. But he's with us tonight. Welcome, KP Yohanan. KP, sit on the psych couch here. You can lay down if you'd like. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I brought KP here tonight for a couple of reasons. Number one, he asked to come because he loves this fellowship so much. And before I left, he wanted to be here to share an evening. But also, when we first started in an apartment complex just a couple miles down the road, we had 18 people that night. Somebody called me from India. And I remember picking up the phone and, Hello, brother Skip. My name is KP Yohanan. Is it okay if I do that? Is that all right? I'm like making fun of you in front of you. He goes, I, I would like to come to your meeting tonight. And I said, That would be great. So KP came and we were just both starting our ministries. I had just moved from California to Albuquerque. He had just moved from India to Dallas. And he was sharing his vision of raising up indigenous missionaries to cover that country with the gospel, 
uh, with Western support and training. And it was such an ingenious and refreshing idea in missions that um, our hearts just linked that first night. And uh, there he was amidst, amidst my congregation of 18 people. And um, we had no idea what the Lord was going to do, not only in this ministry here, but in, uh, in the ministry of gospel for Asia. So let me ask you a few questions. First of all, how are you? I am doing very good. <laughs> okay. I am so glad you are, brother. This could go on like this all night long, I am telling you. KP, you, you, what's I that? Should, I think you should come to India and live there. <laughs> you do very well. Every time I go to India, I feel like I live there. It's a, it's a great place to visit. Well, the Lord used you every time you went there in a significant way. You know that. And Thank they, you. They asked for you, by the way. So I, I thought about contacting Captain Picard to be me from here or there. <laughs> <laughs> KP, you grew up living in India. It's a culture that's m- not many people here, even if they've traveled, can relate to. Can you paint a little bit of a picture of what it was like to grow up in India? Um, skip the best way to explain or paint a picture the time I was born and raised in India. Uh, you had to go and watch the oldest black and white Tarzan movie you can find. <laughs> it's the extreme southern part of India. When I was growing up, we didn't have electricity, no roads. I, I never saw an aeroplane, nor any car. Uh, it's very uh, small, tiny community. And I I'd never left my home area until after I was 16. And um, uh, so I thought the whole India was like that, of course, and it's not like that. And of course, things now changed, as you know very well, uh, fast changing. Uh, but um, uh, the most crucial thing was that, by the grace of God, I was privileged to be born in a Christian home. In AD 52, the first century, Thomas, one of Christ's disciples, came to India and uh, uh, planted seven churches. And one of those churches happened to be three kilometers from where I was born and raised. So you see, that makes me a better Christian, I think. But Well, closer to the source. <laughs> um, Christianity in India is a minority. The majority, I believe, is still Hinduism. Yeah, it is true. We have now 1.1 billion people in the land of India. And um, the government census says we have 3 to 3.5% Christians. It's, it's a minority. But by the latest statistics by David Barrett and others, India has the third largest Christian community in the world. That means in the last 25, 30 years, the number of people that came to Christ is in huge numbers, but the government is not terribly excited about reporting those numbers for the sake of not causing any major problems there. Now, what is it like to grow up in a country where you're not, you know, in in America, it's still considered, though we know better, it's still considered a Christian country, at least one that's been influenced by Christian principles. What's it like to grow up in a country where Christians are the minority and you're surrounded by groups, Muslims, Hindus, some of them very violent in their expression. What's it like to grow up 
in that kind of environment? Well, you know, when I was going to school, I remember uh, the, the Christian students that knew the Lord, we, we were maybe a handful of students, 1,200 students studying in the school that I went to, and our history book, uh, and, and lots of stuff that we had to learn, basically is mythology and Hinduism and deities. And here in America, we talk about um, Christian schools, and, and, yes. and parents are so nervous about uh, getting better education, they start homeschools. And I'm not against homeschools, but I'm telling you, even the worst school system we have here, compared to a Muslim country, or uh, a time like ours, you know, growing up, what we had to go through, there's no way you can even imagine it. That tells me so little do we realize the enormous privilege and the freedom the Lord has given us here. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, today, um, the, the situation has changed quite a bit uh, in the sense that when I was growing up, um, we didn't have this kind of persecution. Today, it's a daily event. Missionaries, pastors are abused, beaten, churches burned down, students are kicked out of school, those who are Christians. And so uh, the, the atmosphere, the climate is much more difficult in terms of being a Christian uh, in some parts of the country. Even so today. the commitment has to be a real commitment. It can't be anything wishy-washy because you have to stand up, even possibly be killed for your faith there. Uh, absolutely. I mean, missionary Stain and his two sons were burned to death in Orissa you know, just a few years ago, that was kind of the first time the world began to see what is happening in India. And we, in our own ministry, well, Skip, we have 14 or so of missionaries been murdered on the mission field, and their wives and children are being taken care of by our mission. But the reality of persecution is very severe. And, and, and by the way, of the 14,500 full-time pastors and missionaries we have on the field, in spite of all the persecution, not one ever went back from the ministry. They are willing to pay the price. That's so encouraging. That's beautiful. <laughs> KP, uh, when we talk about crusades in India, uh, I'll never forget the crusade that we shared together. And to see one evening, to look out over a field of people sitting, not in chairs, not in bleachers, but on flat ground, mud or grass, 50,000 people sitting there as we were giving the gospel was an astonishing thing to get that many people who come from religious backgrounds who are so hungry to hear something truthful, something refreshing. What is it that draws them? Well, people generally from Hindu world and Islam world, uh, by nature they are religious. Uh, they, they are, I mean, the, the same thing as in the book of Acts, you know, Paul talked about the people he met in Athens. They, they're crying out to a God that never answers them. They are hungry. As a matter of fact, Skip, you and I can go to the streets of India, the worst place, and carry maybe uh, 200,000 gospel tracts or New Testaments. We will distribute that within a day. People come after us. That's true. They, they are not going to throw those tracks away. But let me tell you, that crusade, if you remember, I did not know if you found this out or not, by the grace of God, uh, we were able to process the response card, and 31 churches were established in that community as a result of the crusade where he spoke during that time there. Oh, my. 31 yeah. churches. 31 churches. Beautiful. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure... 
you heard this before you know there are american brothers who go to other countries and and preach they do a good job but to communicate effectively uh, with people in other cultures uh, very few are able to do quite well and you are one of the best well thank you that's amen you thank are you. Uh, well kp we've gotten a lot more gray hair now since we had 22 years ago yeah it was a long time ago but the journey was wonderful it's been a great great uh, journey kp in india there's not one language there's how many languages and how many dialects and how hard is it to communicate in that kind of a culture skip believe it or not we have over 1600 1600 dialects and languages and 18 major languages and uh, by the grace of god uh, the we have established now some 24000 mission stations and churches representing 325 different languages and these are people i mean from every tribe and you know background and culture and um, the only way we can effectively do the job is to train brothers and sisters within the culture who obviously will know two three other languages and then they go to the near culture and start preaching the gospel and so communication of the gospel makes it little easier once we understand the key to unlock a culture mm. speaking their language even as a broken language and people receive it now let me piggyback on that you have you know you were in india you came to america you were pastoring a church in america and the lord kind of shook you up and you felt in your heart you needed to do something about the millions and millions of people who had never heard the gospel once from your own country which drew you back to india and you spent probably at least half or more of your time in india than in america what keys to reaching your own culture can you transfer and give us maybe a few pointers or a few words of encouragement for us in our day and age here in america i think skip the the key is knowing the nature of jesus that is he, he didn't come to earth and say i am the great almighty now listen to me and i know everything no he was born in the poorest of the poor circumstances he he dressed like us and he he became one like us and he became a servant of the servant and i think either for indians or americans or europeans or bhutanese or chinese whoever they may be or koreans if you really honestly want to represent christ and bring those people into the kingdom we must incarnate and become like the people we don't look down upon their culture their behavior their dress code and say what crazy human beings are you people and i i think the history of missions there is a dark side to it not everything is dark uh, some groups that went overseas they wanted those people to dress like them sing like them behave like them and have their hairstyle like them so they never sought to become like them so in food in learning the language just in loving them mm-hmm. and i think um you know pastor chuck smith i mean you know the history of the calvary chapel movement you are one of the beginners of the beginners uh, if pastor chuck said you well, know this stupid long hair hippie stinking people i didn't want them uh, <laughs> i wouldn't be here <laughs> well, I, i mean I, i didn't say that <laughs> um, but you see he, here is a, a well educated refined individual i mean he's incredibly smart pastor yes. chuck smith and he 
just walk down many many steps to the dirt and the muck and the stinks and embrace them and i know of no other key to win the lost christ in albuquerque in new york among drug addicts a motorcycle gang indians or chinese anywhere and when i you know watching the movie gandhi mm-hmm. impacted me so much i i saw it 20 times i think uh you know he was living in south africa as a well educated upper caste lawyer yes. and when he came to india to um, you know liberate india from the english uh, colonial rule he saw all these indians you know dressing and acting like this english people and drinking their little tea and talking fancy language gandhi said you people never never will liberate india because you do not know what india is mm. so he took the train ride all over the country changed his clothes began to wear simple clothes became a half naked man and he alone single handedly gave freedom and liberation to india by his example and this is what we need to be doing today everywhere well, that's beautiful kp you're a unique individual you've inspired me greatly and i thank god for your friendship and we thank god that you're here tonight don't we thank you thank you so You're going to hear more from KP in just a moment. He's going to speak to us, but let's have another worship song. Tonight, Line Online welcomes KP Yohanan, founder of Gospel for Asia, a church planting ministry that supports and trains native missionaries in India and other Asian countries. In the next few minutes, Gospel for Asia invites you to help open a window a unique window to a vast world of people God loves as much as He loves you. In an extraordinary story that continues to unfold, what's called the 1040 window is starting to open to the refreshing breeze of the Holy Spirit. 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north and extending from West Africa to East Asia is where 97% of those who inhabit the world's least evangelized countries live. Now you can see why what's called the 1040 window being open to the gospel is important to God. Nearly 3 billion people live in this 1040 window. Unlike you, most of them have never heard that Jesus can forgive their sin. After World War II, however, the window to most of these countries was slammed shut to foreign missionaries. For Christians in the West, it was like a shade had been drawn over this part of the world. But that's when a true miracle started to unfold. The Holy Spirit began challenging the hearts of native believers in these lands. What prevented them from becoming the next missionary force? If the life they knew in Christ was to be experienced by their people, they would now have to be the ones to get the job of evangelism done. And would you believe an ever-increasing number of native Christians have responded positively to these missionary promptings? You know, it says in Romans chapter 10, how will they hear the gospel without a preacher? And how will they preach except they be sent? You see, for these nations, these people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, they need to hear the gospel. But someone must tell them. You see, 
You may never go to India, China, Bhutan, Burma, or Afghanistan. But I'm telling you, as you and I pray and partner with these native missionaries, link our lives with them, you and I are going to these nations through these missionaries with a deep commitment and passion, laying down their life, going out with a one-way ticket to places and seeing thousands come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it is God calling you to come and come and see the world, the harvest that he sees, that he is hurting for and be a part of his work. And I promise you, you will never regret the privilege the Lord gave us to touch the lost world. And now, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And welcome K.P. Yohanan as he presents the message, A Mighty Harvest. I want to introduce K.P. Um, first of all, there are books in the back and opportunities to support Gospel for Asia. It's something we do here as a church corporately and many of you do individually. I have been over to India about six times or so with K.P. And uh, I've been in the training centers and I have seen him challenge those that he trains to go into the hardest parts of that country with, as it said on the video, a one-way ticket to go and even lay down their lives for the gospel. And I watch thousands of these young people every year leave his school of ministry, his seminaries, and go to these places and uh, do exactly that with tremendous results. So here's a man with vision and unrelenting passion. Inspires me every time I hear him. A big Albuquerque welcome for K.P. Ohana. Thank you. Pastor Skip Heitzig, his wife Lenny and Nathan. I have known them, known Skip and Lenny for at least 22 years. That's longer than some of you being alive on planet Earth. I have come to love him dearly and and know him not only as a servant of God, but someone that I trust and respect a lot. I get to this place once in a while, once in a year or once in two years, now and then to share what the Lord is doing. In my world of what I do, ministry, uh, my life is kept quite busy. The only way I get ministered to is as I listen to a couple of men that I really believe the Lord's hand is on them that I have come to love dearly. And, and I carry Pastor Skip Heisek tapes and listen to him. And, and I have to be careful every time I come here that I don't preach his sermons. Uh, 
And I'm so grateful for all the teachings I receive from the church from him. I, I treasure it. Some 22 years ago, I came in contact with the pastor Skip and his wife. He mentioned that to you with 18 people and uh, another Calvary Chapel pastor told me about Pastor Skip and he was gracious and kind to let me come and speak to those uh, believers in that Bible study and uh, that was the beginning of a long lasting fruitful journey and I pray that we will travel together till the Lord come back. Uh, we traveled together to Thailand, to India and many places in the ministry. The Lord used him significantly and today uh, I can honestly tell you for the last uh, 24 some years of our ministry, um, my relationship with this fellowship and Pastor Skip truly, without any exaggeration or any other meaning, has truly become one of the foundation stone of our entire movement. Today we work in seven Asian nations, 14,500 full-time pastors and missionaries, 54 Bible colleges, which has three-year-long training, with 8,100 young people between the age of 18 and 25 getting ready to go to the mission field. As a matter of fact, just a couple of months ago, over 2,000 of them went to the mission field to plant a church where no one ever went before with the name Jesus. It is inconceivable, maybe for you to understand that, but it is true. There are places you will go today in Bhutan, in India, in Nepal, in Sri Lanka, where they will ask you, what are you talking about when, they, when you ask about Jesus, if they heard his name? And so, um, when I heard about um, my brother Skip's uh, plan to um, move to uh, another place, um, I said to myself, this is not from God. This cannot be. <laughs> and I, I prayed against him. <laughs> and um, of course, I always been very careful in my conversation with him, knowing that he, he walks with God, that he didn't need a lot of you know, psychology from anyone to convince him about anything. So I would listen and, and, and fasted and prayed many, many times um, over this issue and um, um, finally when I realized that uh, this is something the Lord has asked him to do I stopped crying about it uh, remind me of Acts chapter 20 where Paul was you know about to take off everybody was weeping crying and please please don't go Paul please don't go and I was one of those people um, <laughs> but um uh, I did not know you, brothers and sisters, um, how you feel about it. But the Lord gave me a new understanding of this whole uh, incident. Uh, Christian leadership pastors at large all over the whole United States and in many parts of the world uh, are still trying to figure this all out. It, it's kind of a shockwave. It, it's inconceivable. How can you do something like this? But you know what's happening? This one decision a man of God made has awakened tens of thousands of pastors and Christian leaders 
to wake up from the illusion and the dream that they have to hold on to anything. No, it all belongs to the Lord. And his example uh, is very unique at this time in history of the church. And time will tell us how huge, how, how significant this is for the kingdom. Well, our ministry began um, with his encouragement and uh, his love and his support and the church here. So I said to myself, since uh, Brother Skip may be going uh, like this, I, I want just to see him and, and shake his hand and, and hug him um, before he ran away. And <laughs> so I called him up and said, Brother Skip, uh, I, I just want to come and see you, that's all. Uh, you know, meeting, wonderful, but, you know, uh, that I just want to see you, that's all. And, and so he said, well, you know, why don't you come Wednesday? And you share with us also. That was uh, such a blessing to hear that. Um, as a matter of fact, tomorrow morning I get back to Dallas and uh, about one o'clock I go to the airport to catch a Lufthansa flight to India and Sri Lanka. And uh, uh, I, I'm so delighted and a grateful Pastor Skip that you allowed me to come and be here to see you and the brothers and sisters here. Now, when I thought about what to share tonight, for me, usually when I travel, I speak about the need of the world and the opportunity and, and what we can do about it and, 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 the, and the, uh, the call is urgent, don't wait, give up all your ambitions and, you know, I mean, I still talk about that and, um, but tonight my priority really, as I process this whole thing, is to tell you what the Lord has done through this beautiful, meaningful relationship uh, that we have with this fellowship. First of all, let me say, we, we are like, I consider my life um, as your servant. Our ministry is a bridge uh, for this fellowship with the rest of the world, like India and Bhutan and Burma and China and many other nations, where, thank God, that people from here can go for whatever time, one month, two months, whatever, you know, the Lord allows. But to see consistently millions of people hear the gospel, churches planted, we need to see people from their own countries moving to the near culture, cross-culturally, and that's what we are doing. So our part really is saying we are yours and we are your hands, we are your heart, we are your tears, we are your ambition. Together, reaching the lost world. Now let me say this. Since our relationship began with this church, with your prayers and support of the church, individuals and as a fellowship, you may want to know this. I told my colleagues in Dallas, why don't you go to the computer and find out the number of churches we got established on the mission field through the relationship and support of Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque. It took them a few days, I think, to figure this out. We have right now, on the mission field, directly through your involvement, well over 550 churches on the mission field. Hallelujah! <laughs> Now, 
I'm I'm so grateful for what the Lord is doing here and through radio ministry and Skips books and writings and all these things. But I hope you realize for people like Nepal and Bhutan and India and many places, people that didn't have the opportunity to hear the gospel, someone from this fellowship, some family said, well, I can't go and live there, but I can pray and link my life with them and pray for this country and these people. And you started the journey by faith. And when you get to heaven... When we see the Lord, one of the surprise, happy surprise is going to be the great, wonderful reunion. That is, people from all these nations and tribe and kindred and language groups coming and meeting you in person, shaking your hand, they will speak your language also. And thank you for what the Lord has done through your life and your commitment as you walked with him here on earth. And I think that day may not be very far. The Lord's coming is very near. So I want to say to you, thank you so very much with all my heart for your involvement and your prayers and your support. And it has borne tremendous amount of fruit. And these pastors and missionaries that you are praying and supporting. They still continue preach the gospel. They are still doing the job. And some of our dear brothers have planted five, six, seven churches on the mission field. And as a matter of fact, the part of the, the video clip that you saw, uh, if you saw the whole um, movie as a documentary, you will see that one brother, that his face you saw a little bit, planted 25 churches on the mission field. It took him two years of persecution, agony, and rejection. Yet God used him so mightily. And this is a fruit of your labor and your commitment. And I'm here to say thank you so much. And I look forward to the coming days, uh, the Lord willing, uh, to travel to many of these nations with uh, Pastor Skip. And um, he, he made a promise to me that he will do it. I'm declaring it publicly so that he cannot go back. <laughs> um, people love him dearly on the mission field, I must tell you that. And I told him, uh, next time the Lord willing, um, when he comes, we will have a pastor's conference, hopefully, you know, with a thousand pastors and there may be a crusade with it and uh, and you know nobody need to introduce pastor skip because when he stand on the stage everybody sees him <laughs> you, you can't go wrong with that <laughs> so what a blessing um, if you'll turn your bibles to the uh, gospel of matthew chapter 9 Verse 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds or multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as wise or shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. If you look at chapter 8, you will see these events mentioned there. Of course, in my Bible, I have the subtitles. Uh, you will see the first part of chapter 8, a man with a leprosy coming to Jesus and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched the man. You know, as a young boy, I remember reading that and I said, I can't believe he did it. They made it up. <laughs> because when I was growing up, my parents told us, to avoid certain um, road or walking path uh, so that we will not have to go through those places where there were a lot of beggars or lepers or the, 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 the bad people lived. We were not allowed to. So we had to go a kilometer walking round way about when we were going to school. And when you go to India, um, one thing you'll find many places... Uh, thousands of lepers. There are several million lepers. And as a matter of fact, we have began a ministry among the lepers. 750 leper colonies and slums where our missionaries are working. And some of the most heart-touching scene I have witnessed is some of our missionaries baptizing lepers who came to Christ. No nose, no ears, the fingers are completely gone, the toes are gone, and the, the, the face look no more like normal. They, they, are, they, they really are sick and too late to do anything about it. But they gave their heart to Christ. And these, our brothers, would now baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and in, the, in the leper colony where they worship, you, you should see when they clap their hands, they just got the... The, the stub, right? You call it, and there's, there's, there's not, nothing here. They just do like this, worshipping. But to me, when I first read this, as a youngster, Jesus touching the leper? This is not true. I can't do that. But I grew up. I realized he was one, and he is the one who sees the poor, the naked, the illiterate, the undone, the forsaken, and the leper, and the beggars, the slum dollars. And he is not walking away. He touches them. Then I ask me, am I willing to do this? So you see, his encounter with these people obviously is, is grabbing his heart, is, is, is moving him. 
Pastor Skip asked the question, Brother KP, how do we communicate? To me, I must learn again. There's no shortcut to be like Jesus. If you go to Nepal or India, Bangladesh, some of these places, it's the most common scene on the streets. You see beggars. And every time I see a beggar or a leper, somehow a tape runs in my head. Something like this. If it was not for the grace of God, that's me. That's me. And the way we can incarnate Christ's life and truly bring them to our Father's house, it is to be like Him. You see, ministry and living for the Lord, my brothers and sisters, is not a bunch of reciting doctrines and, and, and having all the answers to all the theological questions, but rather it's a very simple, humble, normal, down-to-earth, tangible life that really reaches out to people saying, I don't like to do it, I don't like to touch a leper, but I better give up what I want and incarnate. Question, am I able to do it all the time? Please believe me, not really. One time I went to a, a tribal group to worship the Lord with these people and, uh, and the delicacy they give to special people come to their place is they, they take these worms, uh, grubs, grub worm, and they put it in this jar with milk and other thing, and this, this yucky stuff. They they drink this thing, and this this uh, worms become really big, you know, heavy duty. <laughs> and and they take these things and put it in a cloth, and and they tie a knot, and they do like that, and and they put it in this glass and give it to you. And I said, Lord, I'm coming home. <laughs> and honestly, I couldn't drink it. I made every excuse in the world and got out of it. Um, uh, maybe Jesus would do that. I have two children. My son Danny is 27 and my daughter is 23. They both are born and raised in the United States. And from the day they were born, Gisela and I, we prayed, Lord, save them. Let them come to know you, Lord, and call them to serve you. And um, it's such a joy for us they both gave their lives to the Lord and obeyed His call. And the Danny, my son, is uh, truly anointed by the Lord as a gifted Bible teacher. And uh, they both are in India um, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, when I hear about my son going to some mission field, some strange place where I was beaten, abused, or kicked out of, or some dangerous place, I still get nervous and, and you know, like, you know, 
this is not a safe thing he is doing and why he is doing it, all these little things. And in then I have to say to myself, wow, look at you, a great preacher and a missionary. All of a sudden you are trying to hold on to something. I said, Lord, this is me. I, I, I fail. I struggle. Please help me, Lord. I release him to you again. Please, it's all whatever you want. And I remember Gisela and I talking about it. Said, you know, we want our children to serve God, but if we don't live our life such a way, not demanding and putting heavy duty stuff on them, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, nothing like that, not legalistic trip, but simply asking God, Lord, how must we live a life so that without force or any kind of demands, they will follow you. Not that we were perfect people, nor are we. After my son went to the mission field and, and began to serve the Lord, after some years of his life there, somebody asked him a question. Danny, I mean, you are born in America and raised there, and, and, uh, and you, you, you could live there, live in Germany or what? I mean, how come you, you decide to come to this kind of place and, 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 and go through all this mess? He never said this to me, but those who heard him reported, my son said, you see, my sister and I heard a lot of teaching from my parents, but what made us to do what we are today, we saw they live behind the doors what they talked publicly. Another thing we did, we said, you know, we, we can't let these kids grow up in America and imagine they're going to be serving God overseas. Let's take them to the mission field as many times possible. So, you know, as they were tiny little kids, you know, and we will carry them uh, to the mission field and, and see the slum, the smell, the lepers and, the, and all the horrible stuff. Many, many times they've been and this gripped their heart that touch their heart. Parents, I would encourage you. It is wonderful you have fellowship like this and the books and teachings and all those things, but give them opportunity even travel to Mexico. Let them walk on the streets. Let them distribute tracts. Let them collect the beer cans and aluminum cans and Pepsi Cola cans and tell them, why don't you sell it and bring the coins and put it together and save it and do something for some country or somewhere and give them the opportunity to, to touch and, and have the feeling and, 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 and get into the world of the lepers, the need and all these things. You know, when you see, when you touch, when you understand, when you are in it, it begins to grip your heart and gives you the motivation to act on it. Do I make sense to you? But then you go on in chapter 8, you will find the centurion coming, verse 5 on. So Lord, my servant is sick and I am not worthy for you to come. But please Lord, here is a man crying out for help. Then you will find from verse 28 on the demon possessed man. In verse 28, when he arrived at the other side of the region of Galadians, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. And you, you see, 
one of the one of the most common thing for our missionaries as a matter of fact i i brought with me about 15 20 uh, latest stories in the mission field half of them are missionaries going to some place to preach the gospel and people bring demon possessed people chained and and tied up and then they are called to come and pray for a man who is tied up on a tree like you tie up tie an elephant on a tree totally uncontrollable and ask our little missionary you pray to your jesus if a jesus can heal this demon possessed man you see in america we don't see too many people walking around totally berserk manifesting demons i know there's a whole bunch of people are demon possessed i imagine but you don't see pastors keep like you see on the streets of india i mean how many times have i seen totally naked people men completely possessed walking like animals on the streets nobody cares in this culture we don't understand that but it is still true in nepal it is still true in africa in china in bangladesh this is a real world we are living in my friends your little home your car your house your world is not the real world the real world is harsh painful people crying out for hope and jesus encountered people like that when you see what is happening in afghanistan or iraq or sudan the muslim countries or sri lanka or bangladesh please would you let the lord take you by his grace and transport you to the place and begin to feel the pain the anguish and the despair over these people and say lord touch my heart the way it touches your heart this is how we begin to understand how to enter into the harvest then you go on you will find in chapter 9 this paralyzed man being brought to jesus then next you see in chapter 9 jesus calling matthew then you see about the story about a girl a dead girl you know uh, verse 18 on remember these are jesus encounter and then uh, you will find the woman who was 12 years sick and dying lost all hope recently i read in the indian newspaper in one state of india average 21 people commit suicide every single day and half of them because there is no hope no medicine they are poor they don't want to be a burden for their people they kill themselves what a what a hopeless situation and jesus see these people then you see the blind man you know um Uh, coming and saying in the blind and mute verse 27 on but then you come to verse 35 now you you walk with jesus and you 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 see these things oh by the way it was not christ alone he had bunch of disciples with him just like us but you don't read here when the disciples saw the multitude they were moved with compassion they began to cry out oh, lord what shall we do No. Nothing like that. I mean, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you know, these disciples when the blind man cried out, "Lord, have mercy on us." He said, "Shut up. What's wrong with you? Don't bother us. You're making too much noise." 
our church, our Christian home, our Bible school, our Christian hospital. These all facilities God gave us is to heal the sick and show compassion. Church is supposed to be a hospital, by the way. The needy and the hurting come here. And obviously, from 18 people, the thousands and thousands that came into the kingdom, their lives changed and touched. You are the testimony, the living epistle to this fact that the Lord is still doing the same thing. It says, Jesus, he was moved with compassion because they were helpless. They were harassed. i never been a slave in my life. i never been a servant to anyone. By the grace of God, whatever reason, I was born in a home where our people are upper, upper caste. And uh, when I was growing up, we had the untouchables, the Dalits in our community. But as I got older, I understood they are human beings also. There are 300 million untouchables living in India. They are worse than the slaves that you had in the United States in the days of slavery. You realize in a given village, you can have 15,000 people live there. Half of the village may be upper caste and half the untouchables. If the untouchable, this woman, thirsty, dying of thirst, somehow go to the well of the upper caste and draw some water, that's the end of her life. She can be murdered. In a movie theater, a few months ago, a young man who was sitting, watching a movie, accidentally touched the man sitting in front of him, happened to be a Brahmin upper caste young man. That week, seven members of this untouchables family members were brutally murdered, cut in pieces, put in a gunny sack and dumped it into the river and the police will not even take, file a case. I can spend all night long explaining to you the fate of the untouchables, the, the illiteracy. Almost 100% illiteracy. They can't read and write. The children don't go to school. By the grace of God, Pastor Skip, you'll be happy to know we have started 175 schools only for the Dalits, untouchables children. Nearly 7,000 children are studying and reading about Jesus, learning English in these schools. Hallelujah. Some of the saddest stories when some of these Dalits people get sick, they go to the hospital, but some places they cannot help, get help because the doctor happened to be upper caste. You cannot even imagine this. And Jesus saw the multitude was moved with compassion because they were helpless, they were harassed. And I pray that our hearts will always be touched with the compassion of Jesus. 
1971, as a youngster, I went to Singapore to attend a meeting where I heard Dr. Bob Pierce speak. He was the founder of World Vision and Samaritan Spurs. A tall man, as tall as Pastor Skip, but much bigger. And he just stood before us. He just began to cry. Just, just crying. And then he caught hold of himself, then took his Bible in his hand, and he said these words, Brothers, when I went to China, and I saw the ocean of people, 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 so lost, it is on their faces, you can see in their eyes, the lostness. He said, I was so broken hearted. I took my Bible and wrote this statement on the leaf. Oh God, let my heart break with the things that break your heart. No wonder why God used him to do something so significant. And our dear friend Franklin continues the ministry of Samaritan's Purse. So significant. By the way, the Christmas shoe got to India. And our missionaries were distributing it in Maharashtra. How God took one, one life whose heart was breaking. Parents, brothers and sisters, ask the Lord to open your eyes to see the need in this community. To see the need or the suffering even in this nation, the neighboring country, and in Europe and Africa. You know what? I tell you a secret. You are not an American. You are not an Indian or Chinese. Forget it. You belong to Jesus. Your citizenship is in heaven. And the Lord is looking for people who will open their hearts to the Lord like Bob Pierce. Say, Lord, let it be. I am willing. And Jesus said, the harvest is plenty, plenty abundant, but laborers are few. Hmm. I grew up in a home where my people are rice farmers. Rice farmers. Harvest time comes, my people, they become like, in America we say, chicken with the head cut off. <laughs> and I know a couple of my brothers don't even change their shirt when they go to bed. They go to bed so late. Because if you wait two more weeks, the rain will come, all finished. It's bad, bad news. So they work late in the night and get a little sleep and early morning they get up, get all their workers again to the field to get it done. Why? Harvest is a fixed time. You cannot say, hey, don't worry man, we will do it tomorrow. <laughs> I am going to see some nice place and come back. You don't, don't laugh like that. In 1974, when I was studying in seminary in Dallas, I got the information my father passed away. Oh, how I wish. I sat and wept and wept. said, oh, how I wish I had the chance to see him just before he died. But thank God, he became a believer 
before he left this world. Brothers and sisters, every single day, some 80,000 people die having never heard our Lord's name and slip into eternity. But they waited long enough. They couldn't wait any longer. It's too late. To me, I will conclude by saying this to you. Other, other day I was on uh, the uh, uh, Billy Graham radio network, you know, do the, this interview for the mission conference thing. And uh, they asked me some question, and I, I remember answering it like this. I said, look, you're asking about what's happening in the world of missions, or wh- what is God up to? That was a question. I said, wow. I said, I've been in our ministry 25 some years, but I have never, ever, ever experienced anything so significant, so incredible in terms of people coming into the kingdom. You know, our brothers that we began to send out to the mission field, as of six months ago, our statistics, they baptized over one million people who came to Christ and confessed Him Lord and Savior and joined the local church. There must be over half a million people who are waiting to be baptized in a state of India where they passed the law called anti-conversion bill. Means you baptize a Hindu, you go to jail for six years, imprisonment, six years. Anybody want to go to India and baptize anybody? (laughs) But you know what happened? In that very state, they passed the law. Our brothers baptized over 24,000 people last year. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You talk about harvest. Recently there was a baptism service, 245 people going into the river. And the pastor told me, one young man came wearing a wraparound, just half naked, you know, just little thing, no shirt, nothing. He said, "Uh, Pastor, please baptize me also. And our brother said, who are you? He said, I'm a Dalit. I'm untouchable. I walked 21 kilometers to get here. And the pastor said, do you have any change of clothes? I mean, you go into the river. When you come out, you have to have some... He started crying. He said, I don't have anything else. This is all I own in my life. But I heard about Jesus over the radio. And I gave my life to Jesus None of my people know about this Jesus. And I found out this is where you people are. He didn't come to get baptized. He had no knowledge about it. And the pastor said, but you, you need to have something to change. He said, don't worry. I will walk just like this back home. You please baptize me. And he went into the waters of baptism. They baptized him. Before he went back, you know what he said? Pastor, I will come and get you to baptize all my people in my village. When I get ready, I will come and call you. You talk about harvest. What dreams, what God is doing. Lord, this is my prayer. That you will continue to break my heart, Lord, with the things that break your heart. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Joy of knowing you, Lord. And offering our lives to you. For you to use our earthen vessels. In whatever way you want to use it Lord. So that this mighty harvest. 
can come in before you come back. Lord, I thank you for your servant, Pastor Skip Heitzig and his family. Lord, I just want to pray. And I know everyone joins me as I do this, Lord. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Make them even a greater blessing in this generation, Lord. I thank you for this church, for the leadership. We are so